This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5 on Tuesday and Thursday on KCSU that has turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. For KCSU, this is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Seth Rutherford. And I'm Casey Saunders. Today we'll be talking in a... Re- to Renee Plumunden, a senior CSU student set to graduate at the end of the semester, who has a large role in researching biochemistry and biology at CSU. Plumunden spent time working and researching with Paul Laybourne, a biochemistry professor here at CSU, and she has been featured in CSU's Source Magazine because of her research. Also, coming up later on the show, Native American Heritage Month, the history behind it, and its importance at CSU in, in the U- and in the U.S. Now let's hear from our newscasters, Manny Senatore and Dylan Simonson. Good evening. This is your Tuesday, November 28th evening newscast presented by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Emanuele Senatore. Colorado State University is urging to defend graduate students from the GOP tax reform in a report from Rachel Teljohn of the Collegian. After a bill passed by the House of Representatives on November 16th, graduate school could become much more expensive and possibly sway current candidates out of their degree programs. Over Thanksgiving break, the Graduate School has responded to the bill informing students of the, st- of the news and that the university has lobbyists working to, to, uh, to monitor the issue. Assistantships given to graduate students, including teaching assistant or research positions, would be considered taxable income under the new bill. State Senator Linda Newell visited the CSU campus on Monday to talk about her bills on suicide prevention and the misrepresentation of service animals, reported Joe Manley of the Collegian. The senator gave a question and answer session to social work students in the LSE following the screening of a new documentary, The Last Bill. The senator discussed her intentions to move the serious suicide bill through the legislative process at the state capitol in response to high suicide rates in the state. Newell added that something's got to be done and that it's time to take the government to the people. The Colorado State Rams men's basketball will be facing Missouri State this evening in their first game away from the Moby Arena in a report from Eddie Hurt of the Collegian. The Rams will be looking for a victory this evening in the Mountain West Missouri Valley Challenge. MSU is doing notably well uh, this season during a 5-2 uh, during uh, this season sitting after a 5-2 victory against WKU. The Bears' two defeats were only due to a combined of 4 points. The Rams has previously defeated MSU 76-61 in the 2014 Alaska Challenge. The game will tip off tonight at 6 at the John Q. Hammonds Arena in Springfield, Missouri and is available to watch on ESPN3 or on KRS 102.9 FM. This has been your Tuesday evening newscast brought to you by Rocky Mountain Studio Media. I'm Emanuele Sanatore. For more stories, please visit collegian.com and kcsufm.com. A mother in Virginia faces jail time after secretly recording her daughter's bullies, according to Alexa Ladiri of U.S. News. Sarah Sims, 47, placed a recorder in her daughter's backpack in an attempt to catch her fourth-grade daughter's bullies in the act. According to Sims, the administration did nothing after she informed them of the bullying, including an instance where her daughter was kicked in the stomach, which the school didn't inform Sims of. So she took matters into her own hands. Even though the, even though Virginia is a one-party consent state, Sims faces up to five years in prison. The daughter has been transferred to a different class at Ocean View Elementary School in Norfolk. The voice recorder was confiscated, and now Sims doesn't know if the voice recorder captured anything. Sims's lawyer said that they were appalled when they heard the charges and were shocked that the administration went straight to the police rather than sitting down and talking with Sims about her concerns.
Store-bought bone treats could kill your dog, the FDA says, according to USA Today's Joe Tamborello. The FDA has received almost 70 reports of pet illness or death involving bone treats. Bone treats are different than real butcher bones. They are processed and can contain seasoning, preservatives, and smoke flavor. Illnesses include diarrhea, vomiting, rectal bleeding, choking, among many others. If you have given your dog these types of treats, it's recommended you visit your vet. It's also recommended that you consult your veterinarian to determine what treats are right for your pet. I'm Dylan Simonson, and this has been your National KCSU News on 90.5. Student-run KCSU Fort Collins and KCSUFM.com. KCSU works hard to bring you the best in new music, local music, local news, and local sports. If you would like to support us with more than just your ears, please donate. Go to KCSUFM.com donate to contribute to our commercial-free programming. Thank you for the support. Absolute Vapor Lounge is a Colorado-based e-liquid vapor supplier and lounge in Fort Collins located on South College Avenue across the street from the Foothills Mall. Absolute Vapor Lounge is open seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. with a variety of e-liquids, starter kits, batteries, and chargers, as well as tables and Wi-Fi access conducive for studying. Colorado known, Colorado grown, Absolute Vapor. KCSU thanks Absolute Vapor for their underwriting support. Renee Plamondon is graduating in 18 days and she's gained a lot from her undergraduate experience. From collaborating with researchers around the world to learning how to make bacteria implode. Renee was featured in CSU Source Magazine last month and has spent her fifth year working with Paul Laybourne a professor in CSU's biochemistry department, researching better ways to teach biology. Her research experience has shaped both her time at CSU and her hopes for the future. So, Renee, how unique is it for a university to offer this level of involvement for undergraduate research? It's actually quite unique, Seth. It's really cool that CSU actually provides all of this different research and all of these different varieties. Like, there's a tuberculosis lab, there's research where you can do Uh, where the undergrads are entirely um, involved in it and there's not really a principal investigator who oversees it. They just do the research that they want to do and that's kind of like what I did in iGEM. CSU is awesome and they've built so many new buildings just for research and so that's something to look forward to in the future. You've been involved with research since your freshman year, got off here on the right foot. What kind of benefits have resulted from sticking with it for so long? It's fantastic. I've actually met so many people through research and I've made so many connections. LinkedIn isn't just like something I have a few connections on, but it's actual professors and other people I've met through research on there. And I can talk to them about other research I'm doing and find input. It's a really awesome collaborative event. You're a member of CSU's Synthetic Biology Club, which I had never heard of before. What does that club have to offer? Um, It's just... It's awesome because there's like two parts of it. So the synthetic biology club aspect is just a group of students who really want to learn how to like write papers and how to do research. And like you learn all those little practical aspects you don't really learn in class. 
But then there's the other part, which is iGEM, where the research becomes practical, where they can actually go and do all of these experiments and go to a tournament or like and show everybody everything they've done and collaborate. Yeah, tell us more about iGEM, because that's a big, huge international competition they do in Boston, right? Yeah, so iGEM stands for International Genetically Engineered Machine. So, for example, my group, we took E. coli and we tried to get it to, we genetically modified it to convert frying oil, like from French fries and, you know, fast food restaurants to a medicinal product that's not easily obtained. So, and then other groups all around the world, internationally, they did something similar. There's, since bananas are going extinct, they were working on, like, yeast and bacterial ways to uh, combat that. And you can go around to everyone's posters and, like, listen to all their spiels and learn all of this amazing stuff. Yeah, being able to, to, you know, be surrounded by so many people from so many different places across the world, did that... I mean, obviously, I'm sure it had a really cool impact on how you view your research going forward. Yeah, it's actually really inspiring. I remember coming home from Boston just ready to start the next project. And, you know, I added all of them on Facebook, all the people I met, just so I could collaborate more. And it made me feel like there's a brighter future ahead because there's all of these amazing minds out there trying so hard to make the world better and through science and through all of these crazy unique inventions that i never thought were possible that's awesome you've mentioned in your article on source that after you graduate you plan on following a career in genetic counseling what does that entail um genetic counseling is a really cool up-and-coming field because the human genome has just become like it's been sequenced and not only is it sequenced but it's actually not that expensive for just anybody to get their genome sequenced and to find out what their whole body is about and you know why you have cancer or why what ha why your hair is blue or not blue but your <laughs> eyes are blue or <laughs> your hair is brown um, so a genetic counselor goes and you know looks at the probabilities through your lineage to determine if you have a potential for cancer or if you have a potential for a Huntington's disease. And it helps you kind of assess where you want to go in life. Do you want surgeries? Do you want to know? Do you want to have your genome assessed? Because that's like a big ethical question we have now that no one ever thought would be an issue because do you want to know later in life if you're going to have Alzheimer's disease and how's that going to affect you? Yeah, to be able to kind of catch these things before they become prevalent is... Uh pretty astounding that science has come that far. Yeah, and that it we're saves getting to the lives. Point. Yeah, that's incredible. How can undergraduate students, because obviously you've had your share of research experience here, how can undergraduate students get involved in research themselves? Yeah, so it sounds intimidating, but just going and talking to a professor is honestly the best way. I remember freshman year, our first day of class, this girl went up to our professor after and Said, she just asked him, she's like, can I be in your lab? And he said yes, because she was the first one who would do it, who would ask. Easy as that. Easy as that. And he sh like it showed that she was determined, she cared. Um, one tip I always give people is to look at the research of the professor you want to work with beforehand so you can come in asking questions and it shows that you care because their research is everything to them. They've worked their whole lives on it. They have PhDs. They've worked countless hours to do it so just showing that interest is very important other than that do you have any parting advice for incoming biology students um to start out strong and to kind of have an idea of where you want to go with your path 
because there's so many different branches of biochemistry and biology that it can kind of be overwhelming. So if you kind of look into it ahead of time and know where you're pointing, it can really make it beneficial. Renee Plamundon will go in to defend her thesis next week, and she will be graduating the week after that. Renee, huge congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for your time, and good luck out there. Thank you. This is your Tuesday, November 28th evening newscast presented by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Emanuele Senatore. Colorado State University is working to remove its net carbon footprint by 2050 in a report of Julia Trowbridge of the Collegian. At the start of the year, CSU President Tony Frank signed a climate reality pledge in order to commit the university to run 100% renewable energy by 2030 and 100% renewable energy by 2050. There are multiple steps to get CSU to 100% renewable energy, according to atmospheric science professor Scott Denning. He also added that in order to eliminate the carbon footprint, CSU would have to rip out heating system in the buildings, the surfaces, the furnaces and hot air vents and replace it with something that does not set carbon on fire. CSU will be strictly on track to cut its carbon footprint by 2050. Colorado State University contributed $465.2 million in tax revenues to the state of Colorado in a report from Mike Hooker of Source. Through world-leading research programs, the university has helped create 19,000 jobs while spawning new startup companies. The studies carried out by doctors Rebecca Hill, Harvey Cutler and Martin Shields revealed that the tax revenue generated by the university, CSU alumni and current students is almost four times the state's funding to CSU in 2015. In addition to this study, six of the largest projects that, was that were part of the construction on campus resulted in $560 million in economic activity. President Tony Frank stated that the research is a key driver of Colorado's econ economy with a statewide impact. Families are invited to take a stroll through the gardens on Spring Creek, which will be transformed into a glittering garden of lights, as stated in a press release by the city of Fort Collins. The gardens will be lit by hundreds of twinkling LED lights which, will, which were individually placed by staff and volunteers to create series of sparkling scenes in the botanical garden throughout the holiday season. During weekends, families can enjoy visits with Santa as well as other numerous entertainment including local carolers, musicians, crafts for kids and of course hot mulled cider which will also be served during weekends. Admissions are a suggested donation of $5 for adults and $2 for children of two years and over, which will begin this Friday, 1st of September, from 5 till 9 in the evening. This has been your, okay, this has been your uh, evening newscast with me, Manuel Sanatore. Make sure to stay tuned into the Rocky Mountain Review for KCSU. In about 10 minutes, we'll hear from KCSU reporter Dominic Fonte on parking in Fort Collins and the RP3 parking permit plan. How will this affect CSU students? Find out at 4.30.
In our next segment, KCSU reporter Chandler Oppenheimer will be explaining the importance of the month November in regards to Native American Heritage Month. Native American Heritage Month is an American celebration supported through several departments of the United States government that pays tribute to the rich ancestry and traditions of Native Americans. I managed to get in contact with a member of CSU's Cultural Center to learn about the many events and opportunities within our community for this month-long celebration. Hello, my name is Susan, and I'm here to talk to you about Native American Heritage Month. The month of November is designated for Native American Heritage Month, or as it is commonly referred to as American Indian and Alaska Native Heritage Month. This month is a time to celebrate rich and diverse cultures, traditions, and histories, and to acknowledge the important contributions of Native people. Heritage Month is also an opportune time to educate the general public about tribes, to raise a general awareness about the unique challenges Native people have been faced both historically and in the present, and the ways in which tribal citizens have worked to conquer these challenges. The length of the month only came to be in 1990 under President George H.W. Bush through an approved joint resolution that has annually been issued each year since 1994. NCAI participates in the D.C. Native Public Relations Roundtable, a group consisting of public relations professionals from National American Indian and Alaska Native organizations and agencies in the Washington, D.C. area. The group moves monthly to improve communication between groups, and its primary function has been to create a more cohesive campaign for Native Heritage Month to unify the month's schedule of events. Throughout the month of November, CSU has had many opportunities and events in the community in support of the celebration of the month as Susan will begin to explain further. One event in particular was a film showing of Awake, a dream from Standing Rock. This film was shown at the LSC Theater on Monday, November 13th. Following the showing of this film, there was a discussion with the filmmakers. This film follows the rise of the Standing Rock movement from its earliest days of protest in fall of 2016 to President Donald Trump's executive memorandum signed in January 2017 that called to expedite the review and approval process for the unbuilt section of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Many critics have claimed the film to be very powerful and informational. In addition to this film, the Native American Cultural Center of Colorado State University offered many programs from lectures to movies and menus throughout the entire month of November to mark Native American Heritage Month. The 33rd annual AISES powwow returns to Lori Student Center on Saturday, October 31st. Among these events, there was a fry bread sale, drum group, and powwow dance expo located at the west side of the Lori Student Center. There was also a meet and greet with North Star Peer Mentors, also at the Lori Student Center. There was a Native Women's Circle movie talk on November 5th, a Duhisa Art Gallery reception on November 17th. On November 20th, there was a Harvest Community Dinner. This dinner initiated a sovereignty and food project to engage ethnic studies students to grow food for a Harvest Community Dinner project. Over the summer, they raised traditional and contemporary indigenous foods that will be featured at the dinner. 
on November 4th and 5th at the Aspen Grill in the Lori Student Center. They were featuring Native American dishes. It posed the perfect opportunity to enjoy dishes that may be native to you. These events, as well as many others, contributed to an incredible celebration of Native American Heritage Month. What started at the turn of the century as an effort to gain a day of recognition for the significant contributions the first Americans made to the establishment and growth of the U.S. has resulted in a whole month being designated for that purpose, states the Library of Congress on their government-supported website of the celebration. As the month comes to a close, so does the celebration of Native American Heritage Month. For KCSU News, I am Chandler Oppenheimer. Interested in marketing management and how it works in the real world? Coming up, we'll speak to Amy Kirby, the Director of Marketing for Albertsons and Safeway. Stick around to hear all the marketing tricks, tricks and tips from the master herself at 445 on the Rocky Mountain Review. Snow right now on the KCSU Ski and Snowboard Report. Try not to wipe out like you did last year and the year before, and both years before that. On 90.5 KCSU. Project 3125 provides support for Colorado women and families journeying out of abuse. They provide programs for children, legal advice, financial services, and counseling for you and your Colorado family. Project 3125 gives you tools and resources to navigate out of abuse and help you thrive, regardless of your age, race, religion, gender identity, or economic standing. Project 3125 focuses on education, prevention, and self-sustainability. For more information on giving, serving, or to receive help, visit project3125.org. Project 3125 is about finding a way out. Amid the ever-growing population of Fort Collins, the city is announcing an expansion of their residential permit parking program, also known as RP3 as well as other parking changes that will affect both residents and students. With more on the topic, let's hear from KCSU guest reporter Dominic Fonte. Several neighborhoods in the city of Fort Collins have recently voted to become part of the residential parking permit program, which the city started in 2013 to combat parking issues in neighborhoods adjacent to CSU. It restricts parking in these neighborhoods to two hours at a time for non-residents on weekdays while allowing residents to obtain permits to park their vehicles freely without any risk of fines or infractions. As the program continues to expand and evolve, officials such as City Transit Planner Seth Lorison say that there are still points of contention to be resolved. Per the demand of the community, we have to restrict parking in the residential neighborhoods to those residents, their guests. And then we also offer different kinds of permits, work permits, uh, like I said, guest permits, and we also offer commuter permits. So if, say, a CSU student or faculty wanted to park in the neighborhood regularly, we can provide a permit for them to do that. What, what we've seen is once an RP3 zone goes in, the people just beyond that RP3 zone start to see the impacts of greater parking on their street. And so it's, it happens basically overnight. As soon as the signs go up, the next street over gets those impacts. So what we're doing is 
we are creating a fast track program so that next street can come into the zone very quickly as well. According to interviews conducted by Collegian reporter Samantha Yee, the spillover into non-RP3 areas isn't necessarily limited to non-residents. Oftentimes, there are residents that don't want to deal with the inconvenience or cost of the program, so they simply park in a neighborhood outside of the zone. Lawson states, however, that a majority of the people living in an RP3 zone are satisfied. The community members that live in an RP3 zone are very happy with it. They feel like they've kind of reclaimed their streets so they and their guests can park there. Um, we hear people aren't happy because they they basically say, hey, we think that this is not a solution to the problem because the problem was generated by CSU um, not allowing the people that go to CSU to park on their campus. Of course, we know that they're allowing them to just at a certain cost. Parking demands from the university also play a role in the efficacy of the program. According to an article from reporter Stan Bush from CBS Denver, the university requires certain students with on-campus parking permits to move their vehicles away from the on-campus stadium during game day. While many students are able to find parking on other lots on campus, some are forced to park elsewhere, which can affect the surrounding neighborhoods. Basically, when you have activity centers like CSU or downtown where parking is restricted, either it costs money or there's not enough of it or it's time limited or something like that, what you see is um, students, staff, faculty, all um, trying to find free parking, and so they go into the neighborhoods. What's happened is that got so ubiquitous that people weren't able to find parking in front of their own homes. According to the Coloradoan, there are currently 10 different RP3 zones and an additional six zones specifically reserved for game days. This amounts to roughly 1,896 permits issued, which cover 4,180 total parking spaces. As interest in this program increases, Lorson says parking services will continue to find solutions to future problems that arise from the program's continued implementation. We've identified some issues with kind of the operation of the program. Um, one of them is we don't really know how big it's going to get. So what we've done is we're proposing a RP3 management area where we're drawing a line um, kind of about a mile away from where the main impact areas where they're generating the spillover parking, basically CSU and downtown, we're drawing a mile mile range around that and saying, here's where we can reasonably expect the program to grow to. And if we want the program to grow outside of that line, then what we'll have to do is go and amend that line through city council. This is Dominic Fonte, 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. This is your November 28th national newscast by 90.5 KCSU. I'm Dylan Simonson. New York Times' Cho Sang-hun and Motoko Rich report that North Korea launched an intercontinental ballistic missile for the first time in four months early Wednesday. 
North Korea launched this missile despite Trump's warning to halt their weapons program. Trump has already relisted the country as a state sponsor of terrorism. In the past, Trump has mocked North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, and threatened to rain down fire and fury to totally destroy North Korea. The missile launched at 3.17 in the morning and flew 53 minutes before it landed north of Japan's largest island, Honshu, almost 600 miles away. This ICBM traveled further than than two of the previous ICBMs launched by North Korea. Early calculations suggest the ICBM could reach the United States East Coast, according to Daryl Kimball, executive director of the Arms Control Association. But he also notes that these calculations don't include payload mass, which could shorten the range. According to Sidney Boren of Washington Post, Trump is yet again tweeting about his discontent with the NFL protesters. Around two dozen NFL pro players continue to kneel or raise a fist during the national anthem to draw awareness to social inequalities and police brutality. Colin Kaepernick was the first of the NFL players to do this kind of protest in summer of 2016. Earlier today, Trump tweeted that the American public is fed up with the disrespect the NFL is paying to our country, our flag, and our national anthem. He then proceeded to call the NFL weak and out of control. This isn't the first time Trump has expressed his displeasure for the NFL protesters via Twitter, even though the NFL doesn't require players to stand for the anthem. This has been your national newscast on 90.5 KCSU. I'm Dylan Simonson. Will digital art ever overcome traditional mediums? Will graphic artists become more popular than traditional artists? Stick around for KCSU reporter Mitch Wood's segment on the transition to digital mediums and art to find out. Tribal Rights Custom Tattoo, Piercing, and Body Jewelry is a proud underwriting sponsor of 90.5 KCSU. Tribal Rights is open noon to 10 p.m. on Monday through Saturday and noon to 7 p.m. on Sundays. More information can be found at tribalrightstattoo.com. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their underwriting support. The Fort Collins Food Co-op is a proud underwriting sponsor of KCSU. The Fort Collins Food Co-op is a community-owned grocery store in the heart of Fort Collins, which encourages healthy food and a healthy planet. The Food Co-op is open to the public and is located in downtown Fort Collins at 250 East Mountain Avenue. KCSU thanks the Fort Collins Food Co-op for their underwriting support. Good evening, everyone. My name is Casey Saunders, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Today, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here with Amy Kirby, who is the director of marketing at Albertsons and Safeway. She's here to give us an inside scoop into the marketing world and what you might need to know if you're planning on or thinking about going into it after graduation. She has over 18 years of marketing experience working marketing experience working for companies like Pangea and Ivy Advertising and Marketing and knows all about content, project, and sales management. Thank you for joining us today, Amy. Thanks for having me. So, Amy, you have an associate's degree in fashion marketing from the Colorado Institute of Art, correct? That's correct. Did you ever imagine yourself ending up in the position you're in today? 
You know, I've always known I was going to be in marketing. Um, it was kind of a strange chain of events that led me to a very specific fashion marketing degree. Um, and I would have pursued that, but I wasn't willing to leave Colorado at that time, which meant for fashion marketing, I'd be more in the retail side of things. So uh, I was able to pursue a different path in grocery and uh, have been with it on and off for, like you said, over 18 years now. Do you think um, the fashion degree gave you a special edge or um, influenced your career path in any way? Well, I would say not so much the fashion part of that marketing degree, other it, it, as opposed to going to a technical trade school. You know, I was kind of catapulted. I was very focused, worked very hard, was done in two years and entered the career force at 20 years old. Um, but I would say, you know, education is vitally important. Obviously, I'm speaking to a bunch of students right now, and that's that's critical to your success. But I would say as equal to that is your work ethic and your passion and following what you really believe in and have a desire to do. I really credit that to part of my success. Um, do you think um, initiative is more important than education or what plays a key role in the marketing environment today? Yeah, it's hard to say. I would say they're probably equally as important. This day and age, without a solid degree, it can be a little bit more difficult just to get your foot in the door. Um, so I think that that's a really important um, part of your career advancement. However, without the initiative, you're not going anywhere. And even just getting your foot in the door, I mean, starting out, you have to be willing to get in the door, pay your price, work hard, take the trash out if they want you to. <laughs> I mean, I did all those things at a very young age, but um, I think for me, I, I listened, I paid attention, I asked questions that I shouldn't have been asked. I was never afraid to raise my hand and ask the dumb questions, so to speak. Um, it turns out a lot of people wanted to ask those same questions, but because I was the one that was willing to kind of put myself out there, I found that it often gave me an edge. So what's, um, what's, uh, What's one um, fact or uh, tip that you could, a uh, general tip that you have about marketing that you could share that you've learned over your various sure. jobs and stuff? Well, and in, in my career, uh, marketing has grown so very much. It is so, so much more of a vast field than it was when I first started out back in 19, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, you know, with consumer trends, with the onset of digital technology, um, I was listening to a very interesting webinar yesterday on consumer trends and just the advancement of augmented reality, uh, voice rea or voice command, all of those different things. It's absolutely unbelievable where our world is taking us. So I think in the world of marketing today, you can go somewhere very, you know, more on the advertising, which is really a component of marketing. That's a lot of my world, and it gets into a lot of tactical execution and, and radio and, you know, signs and sides of stores and those kind of thing. You can take on the consumer analytics side of things with all the data that's available to us and, um, you know, really mining data and understanding consumers within your organization and figuring out the best way to talk, it, talk to and merchandise and market to those customers or in a completely other space, you know, with a business to business type of career. I mean, there's there's so much available. And that's why I think it's marketing is a, an incredible industry to be in, because it's you have a base platform of understanding what it means. And you can take that in so many directions. And it's very, I would say marketing is one of those areas that it's very easy to evolve as things change. Um, and certainly going from business to consumer to B2B to I, I also had four years in the nonprofit marketing sector, which was very, very interesting. So I think it's very dynamic and, and really a fulfilling area to consider. 
what aspects of marketing do you see evolving? Oh, gosh, I think it's it's all based off that technology and, and consumer trends changing as a result of, or I, I guess it's hard to say, is it changing as a result of those of, of technology or is technology keeping up with consumer trends? It's, it's hard to say, but I think the, the data that is available to a marketer today is probably one of the biggest things that changes approach and strategy to marketing marketing because you can um, you know versus I used to call it the spray and pray approach of to give an example in the grocery industry just to mail out 2.2 million ads a week and everybody gets the same exact ad to now I can send an email or send um, an offer through an app that is very based off Casey Saunders purchase behavior and instead of spraying and praying to everybody I can make it very very specific and relevant to the individual consumer based off data so that's just an example as it relates to grocery of how it's evolving and changing. Oh, that's great. Um, well, that's all the time that we have for today, but thank you again to Amy Kirby for joining us and sharing her marketing wisdom. Uh, you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Now let's hear from KCSU reporter Mitch Wood about modern art and the shift towards digital mediums. Leonardo da Vinci, Vincent van Gogh, and Michelangelo. These are all names of famous painters throughout history that everyone has heard of at some point in their life due to the amazing works of art they created. Saul Baz, Paul Rand, and Milton Glaser. These are all artists who you have likely seen their work but never heard of them. Their works include the logos for major companies such as United Airlines, ABC Network, UPS, and the iconic I Heart New York shirt. I had a chance to sit down with Sean Forn, a current art student at Colorado State University with a focus in graphical design. He and I discussed the trend of art becoming more digital, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, it definitely has, uh, especially in you know, the past couple decades here. Mostly, I mean, you know, the real big push for that really is just because you know, we live in such an efficient world now, you know, everything is technological, everything is fast moving, and you have to basically put things out quickly, and, and from a digital perspective, it's much easier to mass produce mm. with a digital uh, base than, you know, if you're just painting things and having to reproduce that again and again, it becomes much easier just to create uh, thousands of labels or whatever else you need mm -hmm. for a company to just put it on the digital scale, and you can even, you know, make it seem like it's painted or it's old paper or something mm -hmm. like that. You can always create these different aspects that actually make it seem like something else, but it is digital. Mm -hmm. and it just makes it much more simplified. Um, and I think like all that really started like to move forward towards mass production, even with like just the printing press like way back. Even as artwork is moving more and more towards a digital medium, there will always be a place for traditional utensils and canvas. Sean points out that whenever he is starting a new graphic design, he will always start at the basics with paper and pencil, and then translate that to a digital form through Adobe. I asked Sean if he felt that these two art forms could coexist together. 
it definitely coexists. Like, I don't yeah. think painting or, or drawing will ever go away. I mean, no matter what, even as a designer, we still draw every every day almost. You know, all our sketches always kind of start out with a pencil. That's always, you know, pen, pencil and paper is where it begins. Um, even as it, as it moves towards the digital realm, you always start right there to figure stuff out, like writing things down, uh, and then also like painting, you know. Yeah, there's always gonna be painting. I don't think that'll ever really go away. Same with sculpture, that's always gonna be these physical forms. Granted, um, the viewing of paintings and drawings has also become digital because it gets photographed and that's where most people see it. Sure. Um, instead of, because I mean, if you think about it, like only a handful of people really, that like I can think of like uh, close around me probably go to galleries. Sure. You know? where most people don't really do that. Right. You know, I mean, of course there's the people who just love galleries and they get crazy about the art mm-hmm. and like that's still part of the art world and I think it always will be. Right. But I think that most of the time when you're reviewing art, like it's gonna be in a digital realm, mm-hmm. whether, regardless of whether it was made by hand or if it was, you know, digital. Graphic designers' works are being seen by hundreds of millions of people and yet viewers outside of the art world likely have never heard of their names. This shows a trend of art becoming more digital with wider audiences, yet the work being associated with companies rather than the artists that created it. It is not necessarily a bad thing that graphical designers are less known. Most artists are just happy that their work is being viewed and enjoyed rather than making art for money or fame. Sean has had opportunities throughout school to do freelance graphic design work, and he is just proud that his work is being seen and used by others. There's been some some good ones. Uh, over the summer, I got to do a logo for uh, Moose Racing, mm. and so rebranded their logo. Kind of took what they did and like just uh, modernized it, made it a little cleaner, uh, a little better. And that one actually turned out really great. I really like that one. Um, I just did an album cover for Conrad Pierce that came out really, really well. We, you know, we talked about it for like a couple of weeks about you know the direction we we're going to go with it mm-hmm. and kind of what he was trying to say in this EP that he was doing and uh, and basically the whole thing just was created from he took a picture of a parking lot during like right after it rained, so I had these reflections and I had showed him this idea before that I had for an EP of his that fit with his music and he, then we you know, talked it out and we mm-hmm. just built this whole world kind of around that and just built it from that one picture. That's really cool. So it came out really nice. So next time you see a cool logo or branding, make sure to take the time to find out more about the artist as well. This has been Mitch Wood with Arts and Culture. The Rocky Mountain Review is brought to you by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Thanks to our producer, Nick Visaki our director, Hannah Copeland, our newscasters, Manny Senatore and Dylan Simonson, our KCSU reporters, Mitch Wood, Dominic Fonte, and Chandler Oppenheimer, and our board director, Billy Evan Hughes. Also, a special thanks to Gabe Peterson and Julia Badalise, who usually run this show. They will be back next week. That's all the time we have for today. Um, For the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm your host, Casey Saunders. And I'm Seth Rutherford. We'll see you next time.